Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to see you this morning. If we don't know each other, my name is Brian. I'm the pastor here at Mount Hope in Belmont. And if you're watching us online this morning, it's great to see you as well. Um, it was really nice to be able to welcome new members uh, into the church during this time. It seems like we've had to press the pause button on so much during the, this last year. Can you believe it's almost been a year? Isn't that crazy that we're coming up on a year? And, and it's, we've had to press the pause button on so much, but the fact that we've continued to be able to run base camp virtually, continue to be able to welcome new people to the life of the church and welcome in new members has really been a blessing. I'll just show you one kind of cool behind-the-scenes story of that membership video. You may have seen Pia on there, and Pia had a mask on uh, during the virtual video, and you may wonder why would she be wearing a mask if we're doing this virtually. Well, here's kind of a, a great story of how God continues to work during this time. Pia was actually supposed to be a, a part of our first group that we welcomed into membership uh, back last year. And maybe those of you who have been around for a little while, you remember that video. The night that she was supposed to have her, her meeting with the elders and the pastors, uh, she went into to labor, which uh, was a, a challenge because she was on, only between, I believe, her 24th, 25th week of her pregnancy. And so we were praying in that meeting that, that God would, would move and God would work. And so then two months later, when we're filming this video, she has a mask on because she's there in the intensive care unit, the neonatal uh, unit at Beth Israel with her son, Daniel, uh, who by God's grace is doing well and is progressing well. And so it's, it's great to have those stories, isn't it, of how God is at work and God is sustaining people uh, even during this time. So don't lose heart if you're there. Wondering if God's still at work, he is. And it's good to be with you this morning. Good to see your faces, those of you who are here. We're going to be in James chapter 1 together. Uh, and so you could turn there. We're also going to be in Matthew chapter 23. There's Bibles in the seats in front of you. Maybe you brought one with you. Uh, and so both of those are, are a little bit shorter passage. So shorter passages this morning will be both places, James chapter 1, Matthew 23. And we'll have the verses up on the screen in a moment in case you'd rather uh, do it that way. As we get going, let me ask you a question. Have you ever played the game, Would You Rather? You ever played that game? It's a, it's a game you can just play very casually with friends, or there's a more formal, I think, card version or board game version of it. But if you've never played Would You Rather, I'll give you a little insight into how the game works. Would You Rather gives you two options, many times neither of which you would rather not do, but it forces you to choose one and defend your... Opinion. So it may say something silly like, would you rather own a dog who acts like a cat or would you rather own a cat who acts like a dog? And then you have to choose and you have to defend your, your answer. It might say something like, would you rather be covered in fur or would you rather be covered in scales? And so you have to pick a choice. And many times it's not a choice that you would want to pick. Like, would you rather listen to an hour of Justin Bieber's music or would you rather have someone blow an air horn into your ear for an hour? You don't want either, but you have to choose one. I... I'll take the air horn in that situation. I, I, or would, you rather, would you rather come into a room that was built in 1896 and is impossible to keep warm on a day like today and listen to a sermon, or would you rather sit at home in your warm clothes, in your warm house, and listen to a sermon? Some of you are making that choice even right now as we speak. It's a fun game, but there is a would you rather question that many of those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ feel ourselves having to make right now in our world. And the choices that are given to us, neither one seems 
positive. Neither one is the one that we would choose. And yet, in our world, this, this question is being asked of us over and over again. My guess is if you are, call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, if, if you are a Christian, you may feel this tension. I know that I do. In a sense, our world is often saying to us, would you rather be a Christian who believes that the Bible is God's word and that it's true, or would you rather be a person who is compassionate? And, then the, and that's the choice that we feel like we have to make. Would you rather be someone who is a, a follower of Jesus Christ, who believes that God's word is true and that what he says are the ultimate words of life and that this is the book by which we should model our lives? Or would you rather be someone who is against oppression and who is a compassionate person? I know that I, I feel that tension because I would like to be both. I would like to be a compassionate person who stands against injustice and oppression and also someone who believes that God's word is true and who follows Jesus Christ with my life and believes that he's the ultimate answer to our biggest problems. But it feels like I have to choose so often. I know I feel this and our pastoral staff feels this when our clergy groups in our towns in Burlington and Belmont uh, release statements and letters, and they want us to put our names on them. They want us to sign the letter. And so often the letter is a letter around compassion, around showing love to other people, and so we want to sign. But the challenge that we come up with is that there's language within the letter that we cannot fully agree with. And so we end up withholding our names, and then we're seen and looked upon as people who are not compassionate people. But the opposite is also true. Sometimes I get letters from conservative Christian groups who want me to sign. And the letter is filled with truth. It is true by God's word, but it lacks compassion. And the indication is if you want to be seen, if you want to make sure that you're a, you're a strong Christian, you'll sign this letter, but then I have to withhold my name because the letter lacks the compassion that I feel like is needed in our world. And this is a really difficult thing. My guess is that you feel this too. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, if you believe that this book is true, that you go into your workplace and you want to be a compassionate person, you walk into the classroom, especially if you're on a college campus right now, you walk into the classroom, you want to be a compassionate person who stands against oppression and stands against injustice. However, in order to fit the mold, it would require you to give up things from this book that you believe are true. And so you're stuck and you have these choices. Which would you rather? Would you rather be someone who follows the Bible and who believes that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world and that God's word is true? Or would you rather be someone who is a compassionate person? If you've been with us over the years, in the month of January, we talk about who we are as a church, who we are as, as followers of Jesus. And we have these statements, we hang them on the wall, and we've been talking about these over the last four weeks, that we are people who do not change the Bible to fit our lives. We're people who change our lives to fit the Bible. And when it comes to prayer, that prayer is our first priority and not our last resort, our one around generosity and giving. You just heard Nate say on the video that we are people that live beneath our means so that we can give beyond our limits. 
And the final one is that we are people who are spiritual contributors and who are not just passive spiritual consumers. That's who we are at Mount Hope. And it seems like this year we ought to pause and make sure that we have this conversation as well. Who are we? in a world where we feel like we're forced into making this choice or this decision? Who are we called to be by God, and who are we going to be? Some Christians solve this problem. They solve the tension by withdrawing from showing compassion at all. And they withdraw into truth, and they yell about the truth, and they preach about the truth, and they shout it from the rooftops, But when it comes to showing compassion, uh, they have chosen to withdraw from those things. Others in the name of compassion have decided to leave what God says behind. To be a part of the movement, to end injustice, to be a part of the movement, to end oppression, to be a part of the movement, to show compassion. And in order to do that, in order so that they might be able to fit in, they leave things that God says behind. The question is, who are we? How do we respond in a moment like this? And as we think about that question together over the next few minutes, there's two truths that come out of God's word that I want to remind us of this morning. And I think they're probably both simple ideas, but they are really powerful and important truths that we have to hold on to and hold in tension if we're going to get this right. The first is this. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, for me, for you, if that's you, you and I cannot ignore God's call to respond to brokenness with compassion. No matter where our world goes and what our world says and how our world acts, we can never ignore the fact that throughout this book, there are calls by God through the Old Testament and the New Testament for you and I, if we call ourselves followers of him, to respond to moments of brokenness and areas of brokenness with compassion. One of the most succinct places that I find that this is said is in James chapter one. In James chapter 1, verse 27, this is what we see written there. James writes, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. And who doesn't want that? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. That's a very simple statement. But it's a simple statement that throughout Scripture is repeated in different ways over and over again. That religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this. You want to know what God looks for? He looks for this. He looks for people that are willing to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Now, in the first century church, that was a big deal. If you were an orphan or a widow, you had no means of survival, no means of income. And so it was up to people who were compassionate to come around you and to provide for your needs. Perhaps we could fit other things in that, in that line in our current day and age where God would call us to go out and to show great compassion. You remember there was a moment in Jesus's ministry where someone asked him what the most important law was. 
And Jesus said that there were two that summed up all the other parts of the law. And he said the first one is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And we ought to remember that Jesus said, if you are going to live out God's law in your life, you need both. You need love of God and you need love of your neighbor. If you go through Jesus's time on this earth, you know there's a group that he doesn't really see eye to eye with very often. They were the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of the day. And Throughout Jesus' time on this earth, throughout his ministry, he has a number of things to say to that group of people. And one of the things that he says when he's talking about how they have failed to live up to whom God has called them to be as religious leaders is found in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. And he says this, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. It's a strong accusation. Why are they hypocrites? Because you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. And what Jesus is saying is you keep the tiny bits of the law. In fact, you go so far as to give God portions of the spices you grow just to make sure that you're good with your generosity. However, you are neglecting justice and mercy and faithfulness in your daily life. And Jesus says that is a problem. You want to be hypocritical? Give of your money in the way that God calls you to, but do not show or do not fight for justice, mercy, or show faithfulness and compassion. We can never forget that no matter what our world is doing and no matter how far people may go from following God, that God still calls you and me, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, to show compassion in the midst of brokenness. In the mid-80s, there was a, a woman living in, in Revere, Massachusetts, uh, who was really bothered by the number of women that she was seeing and the statistics who were choosing to end their pregnancies because they felt like they had no other choice. They had no options to care for their children. And it bothered her. And so she decided that she would open up a shelter rather than just shout what she felt like was right and what she, she knows God said. She decided to do something about it to show compassion in the midst of brokenness. So she actually got a, a free guide on how to open up a shelter from, from Jerry Falwell, the TV minister, and she got it delivered to her house. And in 1987, she started to welcome women into her own house uh, so that she could provide for them and their children so that they would be able to have their children and have a place to live and, and be able to raise their children. And her landlord eventually didn't like that very much, so he kicked them out. And she began to use donations and money to rent houses or apartments or whatever she could find in the Boston area to support her ministry, which was called Life for the Little Ones. Eventually, the government passed something called the McKinney Act, where demilitarized military bases that weren't being used for anything else 
were to be used for nonprofit work, and they prioritized people that were facing being homeless. And so this ministry, Life for the Little Ones, uh, took over Fort Devens in Massachusetts here for a dollar a year, and they had 40 townhomes where women and children could come and could stay. And women who were either pregnant or had had their children could move in, and they had a place to live, they had food, and they could begin to learn life skills and begin to find uh, jobs and, and move on from that place. And over, oh, after a while, and I won't get into the whole story, the government took back that land in a huge legal fight, but that didn't stop this woman. She continued on, and even today, she continues to have a house in Lowell where women are taken care of. Over time, the ministry changed its name from Life uh, for the Little Ones to Sylvia's Haven. And Sylvia is 91 years old, and at 1045, she'll be sitting right there, continuing to do this work. And there ought to be a little bit of Sylvia in all of us. It doesn't just stand up and shout what is true from the Bible, but shows compassion in the midst of brokenness. I also fear that, and with some of the younger people in the church, there's this feeling that Christians don't show compassion. It's not true. There's people like Sylvia and Grace Rosado who attends our Burlington campus that has run a drug addiction and recovery home in New Hampshire for the last 30-some years would show. So we ought not to forget that God's call is that we show compassion in the midst of brokenness, but there's something else we can't forget when we think about this tension. You and I cannot ignore God's truth as we respond to brokenness with compassion. We cannot ignore that God calls us to show compassion, but we cannot ignore God's truth in the midst of responding to brokenness with compassion. I read you the beginning of James chapter 1, verse 27, but that's not the whole of the verse. There's a second half to that verse, that what James says is this, He says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to keep orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so in the same sentence, James tells you and me as followers of Jesus Christ that there's two things we have to hold together. That on one hand, we cannot neglect the call to show compassion, but on the other hand, we have to protect ourselves and not give up the truth of what God says and who Jesus Christ is in order to be seen as compassionate people. And this is a real challenge. I'm going to speak in broad terms, but in general, I really believe this is the way the world around us is headed. The Christian's foundation for showing compassion is very different than the world's foundation for showing compassion right now. We come from two different places. One says that all individuals are created in the image of God, and as such, they have value because of who they are in their creator 
and maker. And the problem that leads to all of this brokenness is sin, that God set the world just as it should have been, and all of us in some way, shape, or form have gone against that, and sin has entered this world, and now there is brokenness. And there's only one way that that can be solved, and that is in and through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the redemption that he brings and the remaking and the renewing of the world among us, and one day, God will make it perfectly new. And until that day, it's not going to be perfect, but it is up to us as followers of Jesus Christ, out of the love and compassion that he has shown us, to go and show love and compassion to other people. And where injustice exists, we ought to fight to end it. And where oppression exists, we ought to fight to end it. But the reason is because of who we are, made in the image of God, and the real solution at the end of the day is Jesus Christ. But our world says something different. Our world says the real problem is that the wrong people are in power. And the only way to fix brokenness is to take power from some people and give it to the right people. And if you just get that configuration correct, if you can get all those pieces in the right place, eventually we will have the society that we all dream of. And that the answer, the ultimate answer to all of this is within us and it's in this world, not from outside of it. And in fact, one of the biggest challenges, and this is what is happening more and more in our world, if you haven't heard it, if you don't see it coming, I promise you it's there. In fact, the biggest challenge to all of this is the fact that there are people who believe that God is in control of it all and that the Bible is his word. And one of the things that we have to do is get rid of those people and start seeing the Bible and religion as an obstacle and not the solution. And so as believers, we have to be very careful with whom we partner. Because we're coming at this from very different places. And sometimes we want the same thing. But our beliefs as to where it comes from and how to get there are very different. So we have to be careful that in our desire to see compassion and our desire to show compassion, we don't leave behind the truths of who God is and what the ultimate solution is. In August of 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was arrested in Birmingham, Alabama. And while he was in prison, eight white religious leaders released a public declaration of concern over the nonviolent sit-ins and protests that were happening in the city, the bus boycott and other things that were happening in the city in that moment. In prison, by his own words, in prison with plenty of time on his hands, Martin Luther King decided to respond. If you've never read the letter from the Birmingham jail, you ought to read it. And in that letter, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says many things that I would love to quote this morning, but he says this. He said, we must come to see that human progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. 
It comes through the tireless efforts and persistent work of men willing to be co-workers with God. You know, when you look back on, on some of what happened in the, in the civil rights movement in the 1960s, one of the things that is true is that many of its greatest leaders found the reason for their work and the foundation for their work in their faith in God and in his word and in Jesus Christ. And today we would have a culture that would want to continue the work but remove the faith. And we ought to be careful in that. We want to continue to pursue the dream, but ignore that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. quotes Old Testament prophets Amos and Isaiah in that famous speech. We ought to pursue compassion, pursue what is right, But we cannot compromise on what God says is true. So who are we in the midst of all of this? Who are we to be? That's the big question that faces us. When I look at James 1.27 and I read those words, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It is, in my mind, God saying to you and to me that you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, are called to live a life of compassion without compromise. That's who we are. And that's who we will continue to be. I think some this morning may be wondering to themselves, Pastor, why are you getting so political? It's not something that I'm prone to do on a Sunday morning. Why are we getting so political here? I actually feel very um, uncompelled, if that's a word. I don't feel much compulsion to stand up on a platform and talk about politics. I really don't. I'm just being honest with you. Some pastors do. I really don't. But what we're talking about is not a political conversation. This is a theological conversation. This is a moral conversation. This is a a, a very philosophical and, and conversation about what is true about who God is and how we are to act as his followers. And so if it becomes a theological conversation, I have no problem throwing my hat in the ring and and preaching what I believe God's word says to be true. But when one group is saying that God is the answer and another group is saying God is the problem, now we have a theological conversation. And I am saying to those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ who call Mount Hope home that we ought to be very careful that on the one hand, we do not try to solve this tension by stopping to show compassion because the moment we stop showing compassion, we stop being the church. And we ought to be very careful that in order to maintain, in order to show compassion, that we don't give up on truth, that we don't enter that slippery scale, the slippery slide that ends up with us discounting God and who he is. Because the moment we give up on truth, 
we stop being the truth, the church. The church of Jesus Christ throughout the centuries have been, has been made of disciples who are able to hold the two in tension that are, show great compassion without compromise. Do you remember Jesus' words to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes? He said this. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. So Jesus follows that up with these words. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus says it's not an either or. It's not you, you follow God, God's call in your life with your resources and your money, and then you, you neglect justice. Or he's not saying, show justice and forget about what God says about generosity. Jesus is saying it's not an either-or proposition. You should do both. And how we do that as followers of Jesus Christ is so important. we do not show compassion, we will lose our witness to the world. And the truth that we have will not go forward. If we give up on the truth to show compassion, we will lose our witness to the world. We realize that at at the church, as we've gone through this last year and everything that's happened, things that continue to go on, that we have not done well. We have not done well talking about the areas where we are engaged in showing compassion without compromise. And so I'll tell you right now, uh, there is a ministry that is being formed and is having its early meetings, people that have been chosen and are on a steering committee as to how we can begin to find ministries that we can partner with that do this well that share the gospel of Jesus Christ and also show great compassion, not just around our world, but we're also really focusing in our own backyard. You're very familiar if you've been around Mount Hope with our global outreach program and all the missionaries that we support around the world. That is going to continue, and we feel like we do that pretty well, but we need to do this well too. Make it very clear where we're engaged with compassion without compromise. And I would ask you in your own life to think through this today. Where are you withholding compassion in the name of truth? Where do you need to be a little bit more like Sylvia, not just standing up for truth and what God says, but actually going out and helping someone, caring for someone? Where in the name of compassion are you feeling pressured to give up on what God says is true? So that you're not seen as bigoted or hateful or someone who doesn't care about injustice. Either way, the moment we stop showing compassion to stand up for truth, we cease to be followers of Jesus Christ the way he calls us to. And when we stand up for compassion for the sake of truth. 
we cease being the disciples that Jesus Christ has called us to be. So in your life, are you showing compassion without compromise? If we do this well, the world will begin to see that the answer to the brokenness around us is Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we close this morning and invite you to pray with me. God, I thank you for the great compassion that you showed us through Jesus Christ. When we walked away from you in our own sin, in our own, going our own way, you could have very easily broken off relationship with us, but you chose not to. Instead, you showed great compassion in the midst of our brokenness, sending your son down to live on this earth a perfect life, to die and be raised again, that we might have relationship with you, that we might be redeemed and restored. And God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will help us to be a part of that work, that we as your followers of Jesus, as your followers would stand up for truth, no matter what it costs us. and that we would be people of great compassion. Jesus, you said in your ministry that you call us to follow a narrow road. It's narrow because it's not easy to navigate. So we need your help. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance. That we might be people of compassion without compromise. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.